0: Let's bow together. Father, it's a great truth, uh, once again, that's been sung about, that you never let us go, uh, that you're sovereign over all things, that you are using our trials, our circumstances, our difficulties to shape us into the image of your Son. And God, just having some conversation already this morning with some people who are facing difficulty in their life, and particularly in their families, God, I thank you first that you have planted them and those families to be salt and light. And I would ask that by your grace, you would sustain them, enabling them to remain steadfast regardless of that which they uh, come into contact with, whether it be persecution or whatever the case is. And Father, this morning, we continue as a church family to seek to follow out your mission. And so, Lord, help us to do that faithfully and continue to teach us throughout this month of July as we learn to be spiritually fit. And God, we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Listen, if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Isaiah chapter six this morning. Isaiah chapter six. You've got a Bible, say amen. And uh, we're excited about uh, what the Lord's gonna teach us this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been going uh, through a message series entitled Summer Fitness, and we're talking about how to move forward together in our faith. And as a result, this past Sunday, Uh, We actually talked about what our mission is as a church, why we exist, why we are here. So just to kind of give everybody an opportunity to shine this morning. Uh, Let's see how well you remember last Sunday's message. I'll ask you why we exist as a church, and then you shout it out to me. So why do we exist? That was pitiful. So let's pray, and you're dismissed. I'm just kidding. We're... We exist to make disciples everywhere. And then, as we looked at a disciple, we noted the heart of a disciple, the four chambers in the heart, and they are made up of those four words that you see on the wall behind me it's the word worship, reach, grow, and serve. And then the entire context of our fellowship is designed to give you an opportunity to exercise the heart, so to speak, so that you have all four of these chambers pumping spiritual stamina in your life so you can be all that God has created you to be. Now, this past week, you were doing a devotional. We focused on the major chamber, which was worship. And if you have not got a devotional, I'd encourage you to get one whenever you leave because this week we'll discuss reach and you'll have an opportunity to read through those and, and, grow alongside of us but this morning we focus our attention on the first chamber of the spiritually healthy heart and that is the chamber of worship. Now whenever we think of worship really what we would know is that worship is our proper response to God and then our corporate gatherings together at Concord they are designed for you to have an opportunity to experience worship. Now we see this all throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament where we are invited to come and worship the Lord. And one of my favorite uh, chapters in the book of Psalms, Psalm 95, and it says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And then the psalmist is like this. He says, Today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You know, that is a warning throughout the entirety of Scripture. If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. So in the context of corporate worship, when you and I gather together and we are worshiping the Lord, we not only do that through our song, not only through our prayers, but we also do that through listening to the voice of the Lord. So whenever you come to church, you actually want to hear from God. Now, good news is God is speaking today. God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. And through the Bible, through the word of God and the spirit of God at work, he speaks to your heart and he begins to transform your life. So as you listen to the word of the Lord, the encouragement is that you would not harden your heart, but instead you would have a surrendered heart to the Lord. In fact, the major question concerning worship for for you and I to consider is whether or not we're worshiping the Lord, we should ask, are we surrendering to the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives? If we are rebelling against the Spirit's leadership, we are actually committing idolatry because we're serving ourselves. But if we are bowing and submitting and surrendering to the leadership of the Lord, that is an act of worship as far as the scripture is concerned. You know, I'm studying in my own personal devotion, the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. I've been reading through the kings, looking at all of them. Some of those jokers messed up bad. Are y'all listening? But there are some out of nowhere who show up and they live for God. One of them, his name was Josiah. And the Bible says that Josiah, and I wrote it in my uh, journal, Josiah had a tender heart towards the Lord. And so in writing that, I was praying, Lord, give me a tender heart towards you. And uh, he was indeed, Josiah, a tender hearted warrior for the Lord. Now, While our corporate gathering is an opportunity for you and I to worship the Lord, make no mistake about it this morning, worship is not simply you showing up to church. Uh, Tony Evans writes in his book, Our God is Awesome, this quote, worship is a way of life for the believer, not a once a week event. So indeed, also, as a disciple of Jesus, worship is is a minute-by-minute minute surrender to the Spirit's leadership in our life. Literally, worship is a lifestyle. Now, think about the word worship for just a moment. When you think about that word, what really comes to your mind? You know, I studied that word this past week, the word worship, and found that it actually comes from an old word which meant worth And so it speaks of the idea of literally giving or ascribing to someone worth. And really that's what worship is. So in my study, I noted that worship was simply an encounter with the living and holy God through which we exalt his greatness. It is showing the fact that he is worthy with our lifestyles and we live in such a way that we honor him. You know, worship is both an attitude, it's also an action, which exalts the worthiness of the Lord. Now, most of the time in the Old Testament, when you read the word worship in your Bible, it literally speaks directly of the activity of bowing down before the Lord. And then the majority of times when you read the word worship in the New Testament, it means the exact same thing. In fact, from the Greek context, it speaks of laying yourself down prostrate before the Lord. So it is a face down, lay on the mat before God. And there are times in your walk with the Lord, I'm sure, where you've been overwhelmed by the greatness of God. Maybe it was in your own personal time alone with the Lord, where, you know, sitting on the uh, chair, reading the Bible wasn't enough. God just overwhelmed you and you just had to get on the floor and you prostrate yourself. That is a, an act of worship before God. And I'm, you know, a little, um, how shall I say, concerned that whenever I read throughout the Old and the New Testament, these activities of worship, which they possessed, that we often negate and want nothing to do with. Hey, here's, some, here's a challenge for you this week. Get along with God and lay down and worship the Lord. Read the word. Allow God to speak to your heart. Be overwhelmed by his greatness. I dare you. <laughs> y'all all right? Are y'all all right? Y'all were. These five who are with me during the preaching, you know what I'm saying? The rest of the people are like, lay down, this dude's crazy. But anyway, it's all in the Bible, you know what I mean? That's what the uh, scriptures teach. And, uh, but remember, you know, God's not looking for the posture of our bodies. He's actually looking at the posture of our hearts. So you can lay down before the Lord, but your heart still be hard as a rock. All right, so you've got to be confident that your heart is tender before God. And then as you sit before the Lord and you worship him, you will find in many cases that you've just flat out got to bow before him. Now, authentic worship of God will be what gives us the spiritual stamina to keep moving forward with the Lord. So look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball for just a moment this morning. If you're in the house and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, man, but I'm telling you, I'm just getting tired. I'm just, you know, I feel like I'm burnt out. Here's my suggestion. Sit alone and worship the Lord. Because when you worship the Lord, it is as if the Lord puts fuel in your tank, man. That's what drives you to serve. That's what drives you to reach. That's what drives you to grow. Just worship the Lord. Now, as we talk about worship, And we look at our text of Scripture this morning, we're going to ask a major question. And the question is quite simple. It is uh, just this. What do we need for true worship? What do we need for true worship? Anybody want to worship God this morning? Can I get a witness on that one? Several of us. So we want to make sure that we are being biblical in our worship. So what do we need? Well, we're going to have an opportunity right now to see a time in Scripture where Isaiah saw the Lord and it is amazing the worship that took place. So Isaiah chapter 6 in your Bible, beginning verse 1. Stand up with me in honor of God's word. You've got it there in front of you. Say amen. amen. If you're visiting with us, man, we always preach the Bible. So if you ain't got one, we'd love to put one in your hand. Uh, just meet, meet me out in the foyer, following the service. I will give you one. We'll make sure you've got one. Uh, if you don't have one, though, look on with a neighbor right now. Chapter 6, verse 1. Bible says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. Uh, With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with the other two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation... Of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me and had a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Let's bow together. Father, um, use your word this morning to wash us clean, shape us, make us more like you, and Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would bring the weight of this truth to our hearts of what we're reading today. This is an awesome text, and God innate within me, I can't you know bear witness to how glorious this event was, so I'm trusting and counting on you to Make that reality known to each one of our hearts this morning as we've gathered together to worship you, not only in song and in prayer, but also listening to your voice. So speak now for your servants are listening. God, we want to have tender hearts towards you. We want to be obedient to you. So do that in our lives, and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said Amen. So, what do we need for true worship? A couple of things I want to share with you this morning very quickly. First of all, we need a correct view of God. We need a correct view of God. You know, there's an individual, I believe it's A.W. Tozer, who says, whatever comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In fact, it actually will determine your eternity, which is a strong statement uh, from A.W. Tozer. Now, As we think about having a correct view of God, I want you to know there are some who have an improper view of God and as a result, they fail to worship him freely. In fact, some of you, you came in this morning and this is how you see God. You see God as what I would call the Arctic God. He's cold and he is very distant. In fact, people who view God in this way, they're like, there's no way I can worship God. Man, he is so busy. He's got so much important stuff going on. There's no way he has time for me so they see God as cold they see him as distant and then there are those who see the Lord as a moody God in fact some of you came to church this morning and you view God as moody you're shocked that the ceiling didn't cave in when you walked in y'all out there I've had people tell me that before. The ceiling's still up. I'm like, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? But they see God as moody. They think that God's just going to fly off the handle at any moment in time. And so they're extremely fearful of the Lord. So there's the Arctic God. There's the moody God. But then there are some who see the Lord as the rabbit foot God, like he's a good luck charm. All right. In fact, I ran into an individual who was going to play golf on one occasion, and he was like this. He said, man, I read my Bible this morning and prayed, so I know I'm going to shoot a good game today. So he got up, man, and he thought, I need to shoot good golf, so I better talk to God. And there are people who use God in that form, in that fashion, as if he's a good luck charm. Now, are y'all listening? Say yes. If you're not careful you will have an image of God in your brain that is not biblical. Whenever you paint that image of God in your brain, apart from scripture, you are actually creating your own God. And that's called idolatry. So I want to encourage you to make sure that you worship The biblical God, that you allow the Scripture to draw for you the characteristics and the attributes and the nature of the Lord. Very, very important that we have a correct view of who God is. That's why I'm always challenging people to read their Bibles. Like, just spend time studying the Word, man, because God reveals himself through the Word. It gives you a proper view, and it enables you to worship. Now, Isaiah, he had him a view of the Lord, to say the least, all right? We're going to see a few of those things this morning about what happened as he saw the Lord. Look in your Bible at verse 1. The Bible says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe, feeling the temple. Now, King Uzziah was a great king of Judah, one of those good kings, but he died. And as a result, there was uncertainty in the land of Judah. They were fearful because they weren't sure who the new king was going to be. So they're all walking around in town. They're like, who's the new king going to be? What's his governing ability going to be like? What is life going to be like with this new king? So they're extremely frightened about the future. You know, and studying this and looking at this, Uh, We note in this moment that the window of heaven was opened up to reveal heaven's tabernacle. Now, for those of you who are students of the word, heaven's tabernacle is grand and glorious, all right? But God gave us a snapshot of heaven's tabernacle in the scripture. The snapshot is in the earthly tabernacle, which God called Israel to build. And so he built this earthly tabernacle with all of its furniture range, with its holy place, with its holy of holies, with its Ark of the Covenant. All of this was drawn to a tee from the Lord's mouth to the people of Israel because this was a picture, a snapshot, a preview of what heaven's true tabernacle looks like. So here we are now. Isaiah with this opportunity to see into heaven's tabernacle. Not the earthly tabernacle, but heaven's tabernacle. And what a sight he saw. He saw the Lord seated on the throne. You know, one commentator notes it like this. There might have been confusion and unrest on earth about the new king coming, but there is perfect peace in heaven because the Lord is seated in majestic power and glory. Great news for you, regardless of who the President of the United States of America is, the Lord is seated on the throne in majesty and glory. So don't you get all unrest and uneasy about what's going to happen in the future, man. The Lord is seated on the throne, all right? He is sovereign over all things. So he gives us peace. And the Bible says here that the Lord, uh, literally, it means master. Y'all still with me? I'm enjoying preaching this morning. I don't know about y'all. But the word master, literally speaking, uh, is seated on the throne of the heavenly tabernacle, and the Lord was highly exalted, the Bible says. Uh, It means he's elevated way up high, and his presence completely filled the temple of heaven. What an awesome picture. And then notice verse 2. This is where it gets pretty awesome too. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So seraphim were angels uh, which had six wings. They hovered before the presence, presence of the Lord. Now think about this, because this is an awesome picture. Remember in the Old Testament tabernacle? You had the holy place where all the priests could hang out and go, but then you had the holy of holies where only the high priest could enter because that was the place that they believed God rested and God did indeed, and there was the Ark of the Covenant in there, but as they put that Ark of the Covenant together, they put a mercy seat on top and then over that mercy seat, looking straight down, were angels who were created out of absolute gold laid over that. Why did the Lord tell them to do that? Because that That is a snapshot of heaven. So now we're looking into heaven's tabernacle where the Lord is seated and there are angels who are hovering over him in worship. And what I love about this is that Bible says that they had wings, two of them they covered their face, two they covered their feet, two they flew. A lot of uh, speculation into what's going on with those wings and why they're covering up. Uh, Bottom line is they are not taking any glory from the Lord. That's the reason that they're covering up, all right, because God alone deserves all of the worship and praise. These angels did not want to sneak in and steal any worship, steal any glory. So they're hiding, but they're still doing something awesome. They are worshiping the Lord 24-7, these angels. And right now, 24-7, as I'm preaching, there are angels in heaven who are worshiping at the Lord's throne in heaven's tabernacle. You and I worship together and we sing about how great God is. Listen, we are joining heaven's song. They are singing. That's what they do. And when we worship together, it's not like the Lord says, oh, finally somebody's singing. No, no, no. We are joining in harmony with the angels of glory. An awesome picture that is. So we worship the Lord. Look at verse 3. The Bible says one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Uh, Is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. Now, the scriptures, they say it three times, holy, holy, holy. It's a reference to the Trinity, the triunity, the triune God, God in three persons. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Spirit is holy. And the word holy, it literally means distinctly other. But it speaks emphatically about the fact that the Lord is without sin. He is the epitome of perfection. There's no one like the Lord. Holy, the Bible says, is the Lord of hosts. And the word host literally means the angel armies. Did y'all hear that say yes? That's what host means, angel armies. So whenever it says the Lord of hosts, he's saying he is master over the angel armies. Listen, angels aren't little babies floating up in heaven on a cloud playing a little chair beam. Y'all listening? Angels are mighty warriors of the Lord. It's awesome. So he's master over the angel arm. As the angel said, the whole earth is full of his glory. And here we're reminded that the entire earth is shouting to the glory of God. The created order of the universe shouts the weight of his existence. So all of creation shouts that there is indeed a creator. So whenever you are driving along and you see the winds rustle through the trees and the leaves begin to clap to one another, know this. They are clapping to the glory of God. All of creation shouts to the glory of God. Romans 1 and 20 says it like this. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. I love that. Clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So that which has been made by the Lord declares his attributes, who he is, how great he is. So you think about the universe for about two minutes, man, and it will blow your face off how big it is. Matter of fact, they don't even have telescopes that can see all of the universe because it is so massive, so huge. You know how that got there? The Lord just said it and it happened. It's how great God is and what the Lord is up to. It's like that moon out there, man, the Lord just spoke that thing into existence. Are y'all listening? It's awesome how the Lord works. And then to think that He would have anything to do with us. <laughs> Who are you and I? But the Bible teaches that we are the crown jewel of creation. How awesome. The Lord does those things. Look at verse 4. The foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And this is a reference, I believe, to the voice of the Lord who speaks. And it's awesome here how it talks about it trembling, the very foundations of the tabernacle in heaven. You've been through a thunderstorm before. And by the way, how many of you would love to have a thunderstorm real soon, right? Let's bring on some rain, man. It is dry out here. (laughs) I was hoping I'd get a witness or something on that. You know what I'm saying? Bring the rain. I mean, it's like 180 degrees outside. You know what I mean? But a thunderstorm comes and I've been through them before and the thunder comes and it is loud in the sky but you've been in it too where you've sat in the house and the thunderstorm came and it rattled the walls and the window panes. Have you experienced that before? That is very small in comparison to the thunderous voice of the Lord in glory. He speaks and the foundations they rattle. An awesome picture of the might of of the Lord. The Bible says the temple's filling with smoke. It's a reference to his presence that he is there everywhere. Isaiah was given this divine privilege to see the Lord clearly, but here's the question, and here is the question. Who is Isaiah looking at? Because whenever I began to read this, I'm like, he's looking at the Lord. He's looking at the Father. But then I found a verse of scripture in john's gospel john 12 and 41 the bible says these things isaiah said because he saw his glory and isaiah spoke of jesus so who in the world is isaiah looking at in isaiah chapter 6 in the old testament he is looking at the pre-incarnate jesus christ That's who he's looking at. What an awesome picture that is. Pre-incarnate just means pre-flesh. Before he came, listen, Jesus is God the Son. He has always existed. He's not a created being. He is a part of the tri-unity. So he existed before he ever came in a manger at Bethlehem. Are y'all listening? But he humbled himself and he came. This master of angel armies who is continually worshipped by the angels. In humility he came to the earth. Why did come so he could show you and I who God is and what God is like so it's like hey man are you hungry got no satisfaction in life the Lord says hey I am the bread of life he who comes to me will never hunger and then it's like hey you you are walking in darkness Jesus says I'm the light of the world man you come to me you will never walk in darkness again are you looking for God? Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. You come to me and you will be saved that's so what the scriptures teach, and the Lord, it's like, hey, you looking for leadership and direction? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. you looking for eternal life? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. you looking for a source of strength? Jesus comes and says, I am the vine, the true vine, just abide in me. So Jesus, hey, he is not cold and distant. Jesus is not moody Jesus is not some good luck charm Jesus is the spotless son of God the Father who sits high upon the throne of heaven's tabernacle even now surrounded by angelic worship he is the master of the universe and all of creation declares his majesty and his glory and so whenever we worship we are get this invited invited by the Lord to worship him. He invites us. That's the God we serve. That's the biblical God inviting us, not pushing us away, not trying to get rid of us, not trying to even make us feel guilty. God is drawing us near that he can cleanse us, that he can free us, that we can worship and see him. That's what the Lord does. What an awesome God we serve. This morning, So we're invited to worship the Lord, you know, and then there's a second truth. Not only should we have a correct view of God, but secondly, we must be transparent before him. Transparent before him. You got your Bible. Uh, look at verse five. Uh, then I said, woe is me. I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah was immediately overwhelmed by his own sin after seeing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he's like, woe is me. It's a term which means that he is silenced. It gives the idea of dread falling deeply upon his shoulders. Then he says, I'm ruined. It speaks of being undone, destroyed, or pulled apart. Is how he felt when he saw the Lord. And then he states his sin. He's like, my lips are unclean. So it literally speaks to the fact that Isaiah had a mouth which spoke evil. So he was involved in unwholesome talk. His lips were unclean. And that was only a depiction of the fact that his heart was unclean. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 24, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Want to know about a person's heart? Listen to what they talk about. It's out of the heart the mouth speaks. And he's like, man, my lips are unclean. And Isaiah's heart just was not pure. And he goes further. He's like uh, learning this truth in this scripture. And you and I are to worship God, then we must keep short accounts with him. Short accounts. By this, I mean we must not allow a sin to take up residence in our lives and begin to manage us as believers. You know, the scripture says in Romans 6, "...don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and desires." So the enemy entices you, tries to get you to succumb to a, a certain sin which often becomes a habit which you surrender to over and over and over again. And you know when that is in your life because it hinders your worship. So you come to God's house corporately here at Concord and you're like, man, I, these, some of these people are just worshiping the Lord I just I don't feel free to do that. Listen, is there something in your life that you're hanging on to? And here's the deal. I think it was Adrian Rogers who said it, that your life is like a hundred acre field and the devil will talk you into selling only one acre. But the problem is whenever you sell it, the devil chooses the middle of the field. So he comes and goes as he pleases and he wrecks havoc on your life. It causes you to have a heart that cannot be tender towards the Lord. And so you can be a believer here this morning and be hard-hearted because you've been surrendering all week long to a sin. And so what this scripture tells us is that when we encounter God and we see His holiness, we see His greatness, His light, it shines into the dark corners of our life. It exposes that which should not be there. What about you, man? But every time I sit before the Lord and I ask Him, God if there's anything in me, make it plain if it should not be there so I can confess it. The Lord has always answered that prayer. Never been a time when the Lord didn't point something out, shine the light on a dark corner in my life that I had to immediately to confess. And here's what's awesome though. Are y'all listening? y'all want something awesome? Say yes. Here's what's awesome. And that is that the Lord administers forgiveness. He just gives grace freely. Verse 6 and 7, notice this in the Bible. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So Isaiah simply confessed his sin, and he was quick to Uh, or God was quick to forgive him. 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is the challenge to genuine, authentic worship? It's very simple. Don't allow some sin to fester and hang out in the heart of your life. Confess that mess. Bring it before the Lord and he will cleanse you. And the Bible says he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So stuff you don't even know about, he's washing Y'all out there, that's pretty cool stuff, ain't it? Hey, you know, David in the Old Testament committed a great sin before God. He had committed adultery. And finally, the Lord spoke directly to him through a prophet named Nathan and said, You have sinned. And he was so broken over his sin. In Psalm 51, it writes out to us what he prayed. And in that prayer, he asked that the Lord would cleanse him When we read it in the English, it doesn't have as much punch to it as the Hebrew does. Because when he talks about being cleansed, he's using the imagery of literally cleaning a person's linens or a person's clothing. And how did they do that in that day? They would stretch it out on the ground and pull it as far out as they possibly could, stretching it. They would take launder soap and they would wipe it down on that particular fabric. They would jump on it, beat on it, push it, scrub it, twist it, everything they possibly could do. Then they'd wash it with water completely so that when they pulled it up, it was clean. So whenever David says, Lord, I have sinned against you, cleanse me imagery that comes to my mind is that he is down before the Lord, prostrate on his face. He's like, Lord, cleanse me like we clean out linen. So he's praying that God would just press on him, put it on him, stretch him out, put the blood of the Lord upon his life, cleansing him, washing him. And the Bible says when we do this, we are made whiter than snow. So look at the preacher, eyeball to eyeball. Some of you are followers of Jesus this morning. You've come to God's house, but you have been dirty this week. And So whenever 33 Miles is leading in worship, there's not a song coming from your heart. Why is that? Because there's not been a song all week. You've been submitting to some sin. You got dirty out there walking in the world. Are y'all listening? Say yes. The Lord washes dirty feet. So all you got to do is prop them up and say, Lord, I confess this sin. I agree with you that it's wrong, and right now I'm turning from it. And as a believer, I want nothing in between me and you and our relationship. Not that I'm going to lose my salvation, Lord, because I know the Bible doesn't teach that. But I do know that I'm going to lose the opportunity to worship you with my whole heart. So wash me clean. I'll lay out before you. If i got to, just wrinkle it all out with the blood of Christ so that I might stand before you pure and holy. Cleansed. Hey, you know how different worship would be if we all came having met with the Lord before we got here? We're like, Lord, just, just, we want to get all together. We want to get our praise on when we get together as a church. So I want nothing between me and you. Let's get rid of that. Now, check this out. This is what's awesome. You know, we got to have a correct view of God. Uh, Then we also need to have short accounts with the Lord. But what is awesome about the Lord is that we are granted. The opportunity to come into his presence, not based upon anything we do, we are not good enough, but based entirely and solely upon the finished work of Christ at Calvary. See here in the Old Testament, he took, what did the Bible say, he took a coal and he ran over and touched his mouth. But what we know is that the Lord God takes the cross and he runs over and he touches our life. You are made clean. Jesus died on the cross for you. He was buried. He was resurrected. And as we come together this morning to celebrate communion, which means fellowship with God, the only reason we can fellowship with God is because Jesus paved the way. So he ushers us into the presence of the Lord that we might surrender to him, just, I mean, be overwhelmed with his glory and join the angels and just flat out say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, here's the deal. Are you all listening say yeah? Look at me eyeball to eyeball. I'm going to come out here in your face for just a second. Like this. Is this good? Uh, Communion is what we're fixing to do. We take the bread. We take the juice. It's a reminder of the body of Jesus. It's a reminder of his blood. Sacrifice he made. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. I ain't playing. Look at me. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take The communion. If you have yet to follow Jesus Christ, do not take the communion. Don't eat the bread. Don't drink the juice if you are not a follower of Christ. And I'm telling you that because I want to help you. Because if you're not careful, the Bible teaches you'll drink judgment to yourself. So if you don't know Jesus, don't take it, man. But if you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't know Jesus, but I flat out want to know him now. I've heard some preaching, some singing. I want to know this God. You can know him. So you've got to repent of your sin, the Bible says, and trust that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient to pay for your sin. Turning from your old life, trusting Jesus. If you make that decision right now in your seat, you can take it. But if you don't know Jesus, man, don't take it. I'm just warning you. Y'all all right? So let's bow our heads together. Father, speak to hearts now in the name of Jesus Christ. Look, your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. If you're here today and you say, Levi, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him then I want to encourage you right where you are. If you want to know the Lord who created you, man, here's your opportunity. The Bible says, turn from your sin and place your trust in him. Believing Jesus died on a cross for your sin was resurrected. He paid your penalty on the cross. Some of you need to make that decision today. You need to step over the line. You need to make a Choice to follow Christ. I'd encourage you right there where you are. If you want to do that, just pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved. So this morning I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. Thank you for getting him up from the dead. Now help me to live a life set aside for his namesake and for his glory. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're in the building, you say, hey, Levi, that's my prayer, man. I just pray with you. I just made a decision to follow Jesus. And then I want you to know I want to be praying for you. All right. Now we're going to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. So right now, believers, those of you who know Christ personally, you got anything that needs to be confessed, hey, get to confessing it. And as we have this opportunity, we do this with reverence, rejoicing in what Jesus Christ has done for us, remembering what he has done for us, and then also looking forward forward to the fact that the king of kings who sits upon the throne, the Bible says, is coming again. And we get excited about that. And so we rejoice as we commune together with him. So, Father, I pray that you would have your way during this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys can stand up, Deacon. belong Father we're grateful for the body which was broken uh, for us on the cross we remember that and we are thankful that because of this we are ushered into your presence with fellowship opportunity to know you we give you glory for it even now as we eat in Jesus name amen
1: grace appeared the hour I first believed. My chains are gone and I've been set free. My God, my Savior,
0: This morning, Lord, as we have this cup in our hand, is just a reminder of what you did for us on the cross. Father, the blood that was shed in our place, the lifeblood that was poured out for us as our penalty, we deserve death, but thank you, Jesus, you paid it all on the cross. And Father, thank you that what uh, can wash away our sin uh, nothing but your blood and because of this we rejoice this morning and we give you glory and it's in Jesus name we pray amen I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet as he's playing I like you guys to sing that same song amazing grace if you don't mind stand to your feet with me it's a time of invitation some of you have prayed to receive the Lord this morning if that's the case we're we're here in the front waiting on you to come. So I'm going to invite you to come, or God may be calling you to join this church family, get plugged in with what He's doing here. I'd invite you to come and make that decision known as well. So as we sing, and you know this song, man, so sing this to the Lord and just reflect on all that the Lord's done for you, all right? Let's sing it together Amazing Grace.
1: Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now I see T'was grace, t'was grace that taught The
0: for your unending love, your amazing grace in our time of worship this morning. Help us to continue to walk in an attitude and an activity of worship, surrendering to the leadership of the Spirit of God which resides within us, and we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated for just a moment.